before we start, I'd like to go over a couple of the rules. I don't know if you've listened to the show before. Oh, I have, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> she's she's uh, listening so, to She complains about it to me. Amazing. Love it. <laughs> Now's your chance to make those complaints on the air. Episode 173 of Insert Credit, the show where I, a man with few qualifications but an indomitable spirit and a curious heart, inquire a panel of video game experts to share their thoughts and opinions on video games in strictly demarcated six-minute intervals over the course of one hour. I'm Alex Jaffe, and the worst thing to happen to a console I owned was when my summer camp bunkmate spilled his inkwell all over my Game Boy thing. Oh, God. Hmm. Uh, I'm Frank Cifaldi, and the worst thing that ever happened to a console that I owned... Uh, oh, I did once spill some soda in my Sega Genesis when I was a child. Um, <laughs> so that that did happen. Uh, oh, that's awful. I was playing Fantasy Star 4. Weird things started happening in the game. Like, I suddenly had, like, another party member that was just glitched nothing walking around with me, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, but uh, turned it off, cleaned it pretty easily. So got back to gaming. Sounds like you should uh, do that again. Yeah, I might, I might find some secrets in Fantasy Star 4, like... Maybe change the flavor and you'll get uh, mage this time. Oh, get yeah. Get Get those gamer points. Exactly. Ooh. I'm Brandon Sheffield. I don't know if anything really weird has happened to any of my game consoles. I've tended to, uh, I guess, take them pretty... I mean, uh, I, haven't, I haven't done anything strange to them. I guess the only thing I can think of is um, my college girlfriend, her parents loved Dr. Mario, mm-hmm. and... They, so this isn't a console of mine, but they would leave. They, they got so good at Dr. Mario that they would have these epic long battles. Like the uh, her mom and dad would have these long battles that would last days, like they couldn't complete them. And so they would just leave their NES on for, for a, like an entire week, pause, um, oh God. until they would come back to it. And sometimes that thing would just be like burning up. So that's, that's the only thing I could think of anyway. All right. Uh, we have a guest joining us this week. Uh, she's a game developer who's worked on titles like Plague Inc., John Wick Hex, RBI Baseball, and something called Gunsport. Gunsport! And recently made an NES emulator that works in Unity. Uh, listeners, prepare yourselves for Lottie May. Hello, hi, um, I'm Lottie May, and I guess the weirdest, worst thing that's ever happened to a console I own is uh, in high school, I lent my friend my GameCube, and they returned it with a sticker on the top which said "Lame Cube." And oh no! <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's oh, so sorry. rude. <laughs> that's the most radical burn I've ever heard. That's rough. Did they just borrow your GameCube to put that on there? Why would they have that sticker? I don't know. They just wanted to play Zelda. I wanted to play Final Fantasy X. So you know, we're in just what. Uh, I played a practical joke by rotating the PlayStation logo, and they ruined my GameCube. So, <laughs> do you still have it? Nope. Uh, I wish I did. Um, no, I would have removed the sticker. Was yeah. it like a nice sticker? Or was it something that was printed for this purpose? I think it was printed like in a magazine or something like that. Like, um, so you know, the GameCube like logos on that black disc, and you can yeah, the sort of out. like rounded thing on top, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it was, was shaped it was really to that. It was one of those fake ones of those. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh. Now, <laughs> did, what... did that come in like Mad Magazine or something? I have no <laughs> idea. Oh my god. 
I mean, I guess this was in the United K, so it was probably some like British PlayStation magazine that was. Yeah, that's what I would think. Could have been that there was. There's a lot of like tabloidy gaming magazines back then, which had lots of bad joke stuff. So maybe it was one of those. Who knows? Or they could have custom printed it just for this. So <laughs> angry were they over you uh, turning <laughs> they didn't their like that PlayStation Zelda. logo yeah, into a. Uh, Wind Waker did not do it. To well. a, uh, Zlaiditation logo. <laughs> Let's get on to our first question of 10. Uh, previously on Insert Credit, episode 14, October 2012, Train Hard with Bennett Foddy. I asked, if you could send three portable games with one device to everybody in the world, what would they be? This time, however, I'm going to specify that the device is a Game Boy Color, and you can send three cartridges attached to it. Mm. Th- um, do you say they're on a desert island? Uh, you're sending them to everyone in the world. Oh, oh, oh okay. So they can play other stuff. Yeah. So what's the okay? But but we're, I think I think our our three so, game pack is we're trying to like entice them into playing this more. Right. It's it's not like we're, okay. It's not a desert island scenario. So it's not things that will entertain the longest. No. Okay. Games that run on the Game Boy Color that I I want people to play that you want mm-hmm. everyone to play. Yes. Okay. Cave All Noir. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. I'm All sorry. Right. Cave, Cave Noir is my favorite. It's my favorite game on on that console i, I mean, really like it it's you should maybe play another roguelike <laughs> no, I've, no, yeah. you know what i've played a bunch of roguelikes and i really do think there's something special about this one because the other ones don't have this kind of um inventory management thing they also don't have the the kind of questing where like when you die you don't you don't go back to the beginning you just fail that quest it solves a lot of problems that i had with roguelikes previously so i did pick up a copy of that just because you like it and <laughs> Oh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But like it's not one of the best Game Boy games. Like Dang it. cute. I'll give it that. But like there's so many more interesting things, I guess. Like it's just a roguelike. Fair enough. So I don't think that anyone's going to like actually play this stuff seriously unless they're already into video games. It's kind of my thinking. Right. This is literally everyone in the world. So where I'm going is a, a video game that would be appreciated by a video game appreciator. And I'm going to include probably from AliExpress or something, uh, the translated version of For the Frog, The Bell Tolls. Oh, I knew uh, this was going there. Because uh, I really like that game. Uh, I think a lot of other people would really like that game. Uh, but um, people aren't really fluent in things like finding ROMs and applying IPS patches and, and buying flashcards or whatever, or using an emulator. Uh, so if I could just kind of hand everyone that game, I don't know. I'm not I'm not one to force games on people. But if I had kids, I wouldn't be one of those parents that's like, you can't play the new games till you beat Mario. Um, but I think people would find joy in that game. I will say the only reason I haven't played that game is because no one's handed it to me. There you go. I keep meaning to play it. It's a great one to play because, like, even if you don't and just go and watch, like, the opening 10 minutes on YouTube, like, it's great. Like, there's this brilliant, like, recurring joke about you're a prince and you have, like, infinite money. And you're like, the money count is literally 999999. And then over like three minutes, you spend all of your money. So you start the game with basically nothing. And like, that's great. I wish more games would do that. Okay. Well, that's one then. I'm convinced. Is that one? I think we got two with uh, Cave Noir. <laughs> you wanna, are you married to that? I think well, Cave Noir got sort of. Um, no, I mean, well, okay. I. I, th- I think I think we I think we hear from our third panelist and then evaluate our three choices. Yeah, Lottie, what you got? I recently found a game called Nobo, which I didn't know about, and it's a bright yellow cartridge and it's got a massive smiley little friend on it. 
and it's great. It's got the biggest sprites you've ever seen in a Game Boy game, and it's like full of really cool animation. It's like a puzzle platformer kind of thing, and it you know doesn't play very well, but it looks so cute. Uh, you can put a whale in a bucket, so I think that's <laughs> yeah. I think it. everyone in the world needs to put a whale in a bucket, and it's a massive whale in a tiny bucket. I don't know how it works. I mean, I, I have found the label. The label's delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Imagine I, that, not... like, hyper-animated, like, you know, with, like, five frames of animation to climb up a ledge and that kind of stuff. Like, it doesn't look like it should be running on a Game Boy. Irem in 1992. I do like oh, that. Oh, Irem. Well, yeah. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a Game Boy Color we're sending to people, and so far I think two out of our three games are Game Boy games. Oh man! Well, the yeah. Game Boy Color is from the era of it being uh, kind of cheap tech for kids, yeah. as opposed to like the new portable video game system. There's mm-hmm. there's some good stuff on Game Boy Color. I mean, the Pokemon games or whatever. But for the most part, the innovative stuff was like the Game OG Boy. Game Boy. Yeah, people like that Metroid Two, don't they? On the they Game do. Boy, people do like that. I've had that. Yeah. But I certainly wouldn't choose it as a game to send to everybody in the world. Yeah, I suppose that's right. I, I feel like I might send a Pokemon to everyone in the world just because be it good. feels nice, you know? They get to have a big adventure. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think that's our three, then. Uh, Pokemon, Nobo, and uh, <laughs> for whom the Brog Bell tolls. I love this, actually. It's, that's a, good, a, really... it's a good list, actually. Yeah. yeah. Hours of Entertainment. Question two. As recently discovered... How will the preservation of strategy guides of games such as Duke Nukem 3D, Dune 2000, and Dungeon Keeper in the Library of Congress benefit future Americans? Oh, okay. You've all seen this, right? Uh, I've seen it in person, buddy. I've been there. That's at the... So the the photo that Jaffe's referring to that was tweeted is, yes, of of their hardbound Prima and Brady strategy guides at the Library of Congress. Yeah, rebound by hand. That's amazing. Yeah, because the Library of Congress just kind of does that for books. And this collection is not in the Library of Congress proper in D.C. Um, it is actually in their facility in Culpeper, Virginia, uh, which is their like film and audio archive. So that's where all the like nitrate master film is stored in like a mountain with with fireproof safes. Oh, I and get stuff it. They like have that. a separate archive for all the bad books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that actually just happens to be where they started their video game archive, which they started in like 2010 or something when they're like, hey, wait a minute, video games. Is this like similar to the British Library where the Library of Congress is supposed to have like one of every published book? Yes, that is the concept. Uh, it's not the reality, but it's the concept. They threw away all their video game magazines and then I fundraised to uh, restock them for the Library of Congress. Cause... <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty so, good. Yeah. Don't lose them again, jerks. Um, <laughs> so what is the question? Yeah, what was the question? Uh, how will this archive benefit future Americans? Oh, yeah. Uh, They're going to know all the hottest tips, tricks, and... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Dungeon Keeper does get pretty difficult towards the end. So, you know, like right. maybe when Game Facts is like disintegrated into oblivion, like there's at least one place where you can find a walkthrough. I mean, yeah. I think here's one, one important thing is that, well, until recently, you couldn't play Grandia on the Saturn in English. And that's the best version. But I'm looking over here at my uh, PlayStation strategy guide for it that is in English. And that works just as well. If you ever got lost in a Japanese game where there was a better version on one system, then you could you could get the English language strategy guide. That's my in- incredibly right. stretched 
reason well, why it's I was thinking when the massive solar flare comes that fries all electronics on Earth, those archived video game strategy guides will be really all that we have left of video. Oh yeah. Uh, That's a good point. I think when the yeah, when the when the aliens come down and um yeah. none of our electronics work, they'll be like, What did humans do for fun? And they'll find like a, a Duke Nukem Forever strategy guide and be like, Oh man. So what I'm hearing is we need to put like an underground seed bunker style video game repository to keep all the cartridges in. Absolutely we do. Yeah, I mean, there might not be electricity anymore to run them, but we can look at them and talk about how rare they are. Right. (laughs) As in, there's literally only one of these because this is the only bunker. Yeah. Looking at the boxes is the most fun part thing of like retro games. So that works. Yeah. Um, okay. Re- realistically, though, the use of strategy guides for the video game historian, uh, for me anyway, has been eh, sometimes the Japanese ones have like developer interviews. Mm-hmm. And that's like the only time these people have ever talked about making these games. Um, and it's usually really sort of high level and not very useful. But I don't know. Might get your one quote ever <laughs> from someone who made this game out of a strategy guide. Uh, that doesn't really apply to these uh, American ones, though. So, right. I'm going to say, ah, sometimes there's concept art in the back or something. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the Japanese ones, sometimes it really is the only the only information you've got. I've got a strategy guide for a cyber doll on the Saturn. And I guarantee there's not not a lot of other information about that game out there on on the Internet. Uh, Yeah. Where would you get stuck in cyber doll that you would need a strategy guide? uh, Have you played cyber doll? I have not. Okay, well, it's a, it's an RPG, and there's a lot of, like, you wouldn't necessarily get stuck, but the way that you uh, level in that game is by defeating other cybernetic beings that are stronger than you, and then harvesting their body parts and applying them to yourself. And so there's a lot of, like, item and stat information that's very useful to have when it ter- comes to, like, what kind of enemies you're fighting. But I wanted to go on a tangent here, because okay. Lottie mentioned a seed vault, and back when I was pitching this excellent in my view um post-apocalyptic graphic novel thing uh-huh i got the idea to include the seed vault that is in the borax plant in uh boron california which yeah. is named for the element that you can get there because they have this this museum of boron borites and borax the the mineral that they harvest over there which they are coming to the end of, by the way. Like, there's this huge quarry out there, and they realize they're, like, tapping the vein, so to speak. But they have this video that was made in, like, the 80s or something about all the amazing uses of borax and whatever. But they mention in there that they have a seed and plant vault in there to make sure that they're not disturbing the local flora or fauna. Wait, which one is which? Flora. Uh, Flora's flowers, fauna's (laughs) in. Yes, flora. So they... They actually have in this like chemical and mining facility a seed vault way out there in the middle of nowhere and and a bunch of live plants in test tubes and stuff and I thought that was super fascinating and would be a like a great place to have somehow survived the post apocalypse like this this seed vault winds up repopulating the area's plants whereas where it was like a desert but now it's uh got some plant life back anyway what would you have called that story uh, did you have a title man, for it I, d- I never named it that's very mm-hmm. dis- oh wait no why- i did it was called highway 13 that has nothing to do with the premise you just described it, it was about a journey through like from bakersfield that passes through there to las vegas all right next question 
Why are some games so much better when played on smaller portable screens? That is a good question. Play them in bed. That's a good answer. So convenience? <laughs> convenience, yeah. And like, if you're a short-sighted idiot like me, you can like see the screen without glasses. It's best. great. Yeah, the, the no glasses thing is awesome, right? Like when you can finally Ooh. just look at something without glasses on. It's, it's, it's so clear. Yeah. I, it's I like you have, a surgery you have like for that. supervision when, when that happens. It's so nice. I mean, I've never needed glasses, but I feel like even without that, there's something, there's some sort of like feeling like I want to play this on a handheld. And I don't know if that's just being an old person. And like I, I played a bunch of RPGs on the train. Actually, the train is a good answer as well. It, back when mm. we could go places on the train, it's like handhelds feel like, I don't know, playing an RPG on a handheld on a train is, is sort of the perfect experience to me because you can you can be literally going somewhere while also virtually going somewhere. And that place you're going virtually is not as stinky or crowded or annoying as the place that you are actually inside of. Oh, yeah, yeah, that totally works. There's like different liminal spaces for different kind of games. Like kind of thing I want to play on a TV is not what I want to play on my PC is not what I want to play on a Game Boy and a train or whatever. Like the different kinds of experiences for different like screen dif- distances, I guess. I used to keep a, a Game Boy with Game & Watch collection in my bathroom. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now I've got like a phone, so I don't really need that anymore. Jughead Double Digest. It's all I've got you a got. pink Game Boy Micro in my bag with a um, copy of Pokemon Emerald in it, which has been there for about 10 years, and I've just been slowly playing through that game for like forever, whenever I've got like 10 minutes to kill at a bus stop or whatever. So I haven't Ooh. touched it a year but you know it's the thought that counts i think for me things really took off with handheld gaming when i could close a screen or like when, when you when there yeah. was a sleep mode the basically. ds was like the final form of portable game gaming yeah i feel yeah yeah it, it's there's something satisfying about closing it literally closing it and knowing that when you open it again it's going to be right where you were i don't want to say ritualistic action but it there's something about the the physicality of it that makes me feel more connected to it. I don't know. That sounds really stupid. <laughs> no, it's no, nice. That makes sense. Like, there's an that got better, I feel, with the 3DS because, like, not only could you close it and it comes back still and it's, like, still alive, but you've got the whole street pass thing, so it feels like there's this little world inside and you every yeah. single time you open it, you've, you've met, like, 20 people and, you know, get to have tiny little micro-interactions with people and sometimes that even plays into games and that's really cool. I also appreciate the era of just game development in general where like with the Neo Geo Pocket and even the like fighting games on the on the Game Boy they would make a pocket sized version with different sprites and simpler inputs and it felt like it belonged on there and if you play it on a big screen it's like this is this is fine but when you play it on the on the tiny console with the clicky stick it it really feels like it, it was made for made to live in there and uh, I like that I, I do love the Switch. It's a great system, but like it definitely does feel like that realm of pocket games you used to get have just kind of vanished because everything's the same now. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about whether it might come back with the play date. The play date. The crank. Yeah. Well, I don't what think anything comes date? back with the play date. I think it's just a boutique product for people who want that kind of thing. But well, I meant the feeling. Whether, yeah. whether the feeling oh whether the feeling handheld. would come back personally for us with a yes. play date. right yes. okay 
that's my hope for it yeah i also the other the other feeling i want from the play date is when the wii would update and have new stuff i want that one with the play date also oh yeah when it would just pulse and you'd be like oh the wii's talking to me <laughs> what is it boy that's when right it invents some really cool weird stuff i wish yeah. the switch was more weird on the operating system side yeah it doesn't even have music that's what really bothers me about it actually i while I was waiting for the to get that um, Triangle Project RPG demo today, um, the the Switch store was just basically doing its equivalent of pinwheeling and not working for multiple cycles. And all I got was that little tinkle sound. I was like, just give me give me some some cool elevator music, and then I will forgive you for this. <laughs> little Mario sprite running along, holding a package, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, although I did get pretty annoyed at those Pikmin that would that were like placing a moving um, oh, tile for a download. Did that? That's that was the most fun thing. Like they took so long. <laughs> so <laughs> this is actually a pretty good transition into my next question. Question four: What are your favorite pieces of bespoke custom-made video game hardware and cartridges? Custom-made meaning not like official, right? Right. Okay. Stuff that gives you a unique feeling. That Paprium game that came out recently that does have a lot of problematic stuff in it. The cartridge that they made that, first of all, visually has that kind of striking heat shield on top of it looks pretty cool. But it also, um, they did some custom stuff with the sound there so that they could automatically pitch it up and down depending on the gameplay scenario. And it sounds really bizarre and strange and it works quite well. That's one of my my favorites. It's it's not like made by one person. Oh, wait. I, also, I guess there's the classic like um, Mario with just clouds, right? What's that called? Um, I think it's called clouds. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking more in terms of, well, I'm thinking more in the, the Pepperum example, right? right? Paprium. Um, uh, Paprium, thank you. So the first one that comes to mind for me is that there is... Uh, a developer that has been putting out annual Christmas cartridges for the NES for like 10 years or something like that. Oh, and it's cute. just, you know, dumb little Christmas demos or whatever. And maybe a couple of years ago, he put out a compilation of all of the previous ones. And the label part of the cartridge is actually like a tiny little cell phone screen. And when you pick which of the old Christmas cartridges you want to play, it uh, it draws the label on that little screen. Oh, that's really nice. There's yeah. a a Virtual Boy, I think, um, like flashcard that does the same thing. Has a little e-ink screen on it, oh, so when yeah. you yeah. it shows up on that. That's really cool. That one looks so cool. The, oh, I forgot to mention that Paprium also, when you're on drugs in the game, there's an LED that lights up <laughs> <laughs> on the cartridge itself. That's I cute. like that. Yeah. That's good. There's a really interesting um game boy custom cartridge which has like um uh like a modern cpu on it and the idea is like what would the game boy have been like if there was a expansion chip like the super fx okay so it's it's just used to play wolfenstein on the game boy and it like the the chip does all the drawing and then chucks the tiles into the screen kind of like how the super fx did the um like star fox polygons and all that that's super cool because like Something like that could have been possible, like back on an original, you know, early '90s, late '80s Game Boy, if if that chip existed back then. Right, or or if they charged you like three hundred for the game or something, and it was huge. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, actually, on that note, there's been a couple things where people have stuffed a Raspberry Pi as an additional processor 
into an NES cartridge. And they've done really stupid things like run an NES emulator on an NES. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I like those because I kind of like when people take something to its logical conclusion and go, now what? You know, right. and, and like, I feel like that's the logical conclusion of making new cartridge hardware. It's like, well, you know, we can do whatever. <laughs> you know, like we, we could turn the NES into a DVD player if you really want to. Like, here's as far as this can go. Now what? Yeah, I love that stuff. I, I recently saw someone who put a presumably Raspberry Pi in a uh, Dreamcast VMU with a new screen and it's it's like playing some MAME games or something and that made me think okay the buttons would be a real problem here and you'd have to like put a custom remap in in this but what if you could emulate the Dreamcast on a VMU I mean not really on a VMU but within a VMU housing it would be very stupid but I would love it I would play that so you're holding the Dreamcast controller and playing a tiny terrible version no of the no Dreamcast? no only on the VMU you don't oh. even have the controller involved at all. So, like the the VMU thing I was talking about is yeah. it's it's just running on the using the VMU as a shell case with a screen for the Raspberry Pi, but the the controller is not involved. But it could be because the could be. screen pokes through the controller, so you can have a portable Dreamcast. It's true. So I guess you could play the games that don't need all the buttons on the on the VMU itself, and then if you needed the rest of the buttons, you could slot it into your controller. Like a Switch. Lottie, I know you've made some weird stuff in this sphere. Is there anything you're particularly proud of? I did make a custom Game Boy cartridge, which was fun. Yeah. It's like the most simpler Game Boy cartridge can be, but like, yeah, just like a ROM chip, which plugs straight into the Game Boy, and then you can flash like Tetris on it, and that's about it. But it's really cool. That's still pretty good. Yeah. Lottie, you were telling me that the the kind of custom printing on PCBs that has become somewhat in vogue lately, that that's basically free, right? That, that yeah, yeah. since you have to print something anyway. Mm-hmm. So like when you get a PCB made, like you've got the, the green or whatever color substrate. And then on top, you like screen print the white lines. And you always need the white lines layer because that has all of the information about what chip goes where. So yeah, you can put free pictures. Sorry, I thought you said screen print. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Question number five. The year is 1995. What games would you design to enhance the launch library for the Casio Loopy? Ooh. (sighs) Okay. I mean, is there anything wrong with the games on the Loopy? Is kind of my first question. The Loopy games are great, but like a lot of them are... A lot of the launch titles were very similar, like, um, they're all paper doll games to a certain extent, you know, like, yeah, um, Anime Land's great because it's just a character creator, and, like, those things are always fun, like, there's always pit crew, like, character creators, like, going viral, like, even now, but, like, I think the Loopy, maybe if some of the later games came earlier as well, like, there's a, a game called uh, I Want to Room in Loopy Town, and that's, like, basically a simplified version of Animal Crossing. Mm. Do one of you want to explain to our listeners what the Lupio was before we yeah. get further into this? So the Casio Lupio is a is a cartridge based um, 1995 32-bit game console that was designed for girls. It was lavender in color. It was gray. Oh, mine mine sure is lavender. Uh, I wonder if yours got sun damage. Uh, or maybe we or maybe one or the other of us is colorblind. But I'm pretty sure it's lavender. <laughs> it's kind of like. Um gray with uh, like lavender buttons and stuff mm, i'm looking at it i'm sure you're looking at one as well but uh, anyway um we'll figure out the color of it later <laughs> the important part is it has a printer uh and you could print out 
stickers from the game or if you ran a video feed through it you could put stickers on whatever you ran the video feed through so like you could be watching an anime and you could put characters from a game superimposed on it and then print that out uh and i think you could it, it was like print club stuff was all the rage at the time and so you, you could um get a photo of yourself and put it was kind uh, of free print print club which is interesting was it yeah, I guess, I guess it did become a little more popular in the in the later '90s than '95. Well, I would uh, I would invent Pokemon Snap as well. Oh, I that would do. be great. Yeah, yeah, that would idea. do very well for it if you invented Pokemon Snap for it yeah. in 1995. Yeah, print out your stickers. I mean, can't really invent Pokemon, I guess, at that point, right? No. So that that's already there. So you have to have something else that people would be excited to take pictures of. You know, what's the equivalent of like, oh, I got a Pikachu? Uh, Hello Kitty World. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take pictures of, like, different Sanrio characters out in the yeah, wild. Yeah, Sanrio Snap, yeah. Yeah, Sanrio Snap, there we go. They didn't quite take it far enough, their their ideas. Like, they could have done a little more with the, uh, with the print aspect. Yeah, some of those early games were pretty samey. I feel like they could have gotten some, some visual novel stuff going on there. And, uh, like, I don't One know. Is a, like, a romance visual novel called... Yeah. Um, romance and that's great because like whenever you're like in a scene you can hit a button to print that scene off so when you finish playing you can just basically make your own manga from screenshots from the game yeah wait a second so cool is this how they made the lame pube sticker that they put on your console (laughs) did they did they use a casio loopy to make this sticker loopy Oh, that would have been better, yeah. I'd have kept <sighs> it. I think they probably should put some uh, hardcore FPSs on there. That's probably would have made it a lot better. <laughs> uh, what about a game that printed, like, rare drop collectible stickers and you could trade in real life Ooh. to fill out an album? Oh, yeah. yeah that like seems a, sensible. Like a gacha game where you can trade stickers. Cause, Sticker like, <laughs> gacha is a solid idea, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That would go that work. route. Yeah, you go to the playground and, like, everyone's got their official binders. You yeah. know, like the official sticker sheets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got um, big challenges. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to top that. Uh, does anyone have any last ideas? I think that's the one. Okay, we're shipping it. And we will be right back after a quick break. I'm looking forward to experiencing visual reincarnation and morphing into one of 40 characters. Brandon, I want to know more about this religion of yours. Yeah, it's, it's, it's called uh, David Cage religion yeah have any of you played omicron the nomad soul um i started it once i'm assuming it's gonna be bad but i'm i'm looking forward to checking it out and seeing what dave bowie does in it uh i don't think you're gonna find that until several hours into the game well we'll see if i can stand it We now return to a very lo-fi, chill, insert credit to relax to. Uh, joining me this week is Brandon Sheffield, Frank Cifaldi, and Lottie May. Uh, it's now time to reach into our dirt bag, where we pick a question submitted by one of our Patreon subscribers. Nice. Uh, you can join these uh, illustrious crew by going to patreon.com slash insert credit, subscribing at any level so you could receive episodes one day early. One day uh, get early. Access one day early. 
and access to a uh, growing supply of bonus content. We're pretty close to 360 subscribers, which is a uh, goal for us where something interesting may happen that you can probably guess if you rub two brain cells together. Uh, this week's question comes from Mox Bagel, who asks, what game would you give a young Brandon Sheffield to change his destiny as an inveterate Nintendo hater? <laughs> not Sonic. Don't give me Sonic. No, that would not help. No. Um, is it okay? Is this uh, only has an Intellivision era Brandon Sheffield? Because that might be pretty <laughs> easy. Yeah, that's true. Because um, I did start out with just those, even though the NES was out. I think it's like it, it's got to be when I had a Turbo Graphics. The spirit of the question is probably more which which Nintendo games would change my mind, and I I feel like something like if I had Shadowhand, Shatterhand, and Kickmaster, and Vice Project Doom, and and those were like the games that I had for NES as a child, and and I grew up playing those. The NES games that I had access to, which were my stepbrothers, were. Mario 3, which is fine. Super Mario Duck Hunt, which is whatever. And uh, and Bayou Billy. And <laughs> Bayou Billy? <laughs> yes. And I spent a lot of time playing, trying to play Bayou Billy because I liked the music and obviously failing. I, I think I saw the helicopter sequence two times, maybe. If, if I haven't already said this on the show, try the Japanese version, which is... Yeah, Mad uh, City. Yeah, it's, it's easier. Um, they actually made it harder for the u.s version for some oh. reason they did that so much in the 90s they would be like you know what this perfectly good game needs to be ruined uh, yeah for the u.s market <laughs> and that's what they did with poor bayou billy is that just like a, a rental thing just to make rentals harder i don't oh. know that's a good question quest paradigm my uh concern is that if you did get those nes games that might have turned you into a and nintendo liker uh, then you just would have been soured later on when Nintendo did not make any more games like them. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, the answer is probably to have those be the only kinds of games I had access to. Like, all I, all I got was Mario. But there's got to be some. like, maybe I should have been playing some Kirby games instead. Something like that. I have a hard time imagining you liking Kirby. People keep telling me to play Kirby and that maybe I'd get Kirby into it. Kirby is the bonkiest Nintendo franchise, to be sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe like if I started out playing Zelda 2. Oh, yeah. There's a game right for your contrarianism. Maybe that's the, the direction that, that we take it. It's like the... There's got to be a better term than redheaded stepchild, <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> the, the unwanted members of the Nintendo family. The black sheep. Yeah, if we focus on those, then perhaps we would get there. So right. for the frog, the bell tolls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the frog, the bell for frog, the bell tolls. What um, if we got you a Game Boy and like Trip World, which is kind of like a Kirby, except yeah. like it's just as sinister as Kirby. <laughs> like you're playing this incredibly cute character that's just to just murder everything in its path in like just terrible ways. Optionally, you can walk past them. I guess. You can also yeah, throw flowers good. on their heads to, like, brain yeah. control them, which is just wild. Yeah, that looks pretty Yeah, right. sometimes you, like, flower control, like, a squirrel, and then it just has weird squirrel brain and starts, like, jumping. There's right. lots of throwing things into spikes as well. Yeah, So it world. sounds like the way to keep Brandon from becoming a Nintendo hater is to literally mind control him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just throw a flower onto my head. <laughs> that's how it goes. But go. yeah, I think Zelda 2, that's that's the starting point there. Yeah. It's, it's get me to play that one first. And I'd be like, oh, this is interesting. And then people would be like, well, that, that's the bad Zelda. And I would be like, frankly, I disagree. 
<laughs> so you'd be you'd, okay. So you would maintain being a Nintendo contrarian, but you'd like Nintendo, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, you'd be a contrarian go. from within the house. Yeah. yeah. I like Mario 2, the Japanese version. Yeah. Right? Lost because, level. Because as you may know, my favorite Mario is Mario 2. So Right. <laughs> as in the American one? The American one. Yeah. I like that one a lot. It's good. You pull up turnips and throw them at stuff and you go inside a uh, bird mouths. It's got It's everything. remarkable how much that game gives me a sense of traveling to different places with such a limited tile set. Yes, and it also gives you, with just the tiniest differences in movement, it gives you a real feeling that there are four different characters in it because of mm-hmm. the the speed at which you either move or jump or float. Like, that's that's all that changes, really. But they feel like different people. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Uh, someone made a really great, uh, very hard platformer based on the Super Mario 2 engine called Return to Subcon that I would recommend if you're into, like, platforming ROM hack. I'll give it a look. Yeah. Uh, here's my next question. When and how is the color pink best utilized in a video game's color palette? <laughs> Always? Always. Yeah, what, what, mm. are the, what are the best pinks in video games? It's a bit subtle, but in that El Shaddai game, at certain times, there are some really good... It, you know, it's a very watery color, watercolor-y game in, in certain respects. And yeah, they can get some real good pinks in there. And also sunsets i love me a pc engine sunset mm. a lot of good mm. pinks in there hard to hard pressed to find the best one but there's a the second level of p47 for the pc engine has a really nice sunset that's that's more orange focused though uh, i gotta think a little more i like pink like a real pink used as like a, a highlight color to to show lighting on a surface oh yeah that's good stuff. Especially in pixel art. I'm thinking pixel art specific. Can you think of any games that do that? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I guess Kirby's an easy one, but I, I feel like Kirby doesn't really use pink as well as it could. No, no. it's just the character is pink. Yeah. That's, yeah. Kirby's just pink. Like, Nintendo really do like the round pink ball characters. Like, like a Jigglypuff. Like a Jigglypuff. Jigglypuff is great. Yeah, Jigglypuff's pretty good. I know there's some better stuff out there that I'm I'm missing. Um, heck. It is a color that games seem to shy away from. Yeah. There's some really good pinks in the game that Christine loves working on that I can't remember the name of. Oh, get, get in, in the, the car, car loser. loser. Yeah, that's got some really good pinks in it. It's that's got a true. really good color palette. It's, it's a good color. Like, I mean, obviously I would say that's my favorite color, but like... Yeah, because of the girly connotations, I guess. Lots of people kind of shy away with it, from it from stuff, but it can just make such a striking cover, like like Kirby stuff. Like like the reason you pick it up is because it's just weird pink ball, right? Yeah. And it just like looks, stands out from like every other platformer back in the day, right? I feel like there's some games that use it in a really interesting, like sort of stark games that use it in an interesting context, like uh, Killer7, for example, will just have like a big color band to represent a table or a background or something and when they do that with pink it looks very visually striking and i know there's a there's an indie game that does stuff like that and i cannot 
cannot bring it to mind right now. I remember going down a rabbit hole many years ago about why uh, Link's hair is pink for some reason in The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, and everyone seemed to have a different reason for it, uh, like hardware limitations or uh, trying to break up some kind of uh, boring color palette, but nobody seemed to be able to agree on why they did it. But if you look in the game's official art, Link has brown hair in that game, but it's pink or purple in uh, the actual sprite. I think and- it's just understanding the your limits and and achieving uh, interesting colors over like yeah. a messy composite signal would be my guess. Link rhymes with pink. That's the reason. You know, actually, no, I disagree with that because the the sprites that were in that like the leak drop, like the really early sprites for that game. It wasn't just, you know, some pink. It was like, no, this this is meant to be pink. So I think right. it was an artistic decision. I think he was actually had pink hair, at least early like on. It. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, pink and Zelda. Isn't um, uh, the main character in Crystallis pink? Yes. Well, uh, it's, is, it, is this pink or purple? I'm having this pink, pink purple problem today. Don't ask <laughs> There's not me a lot of colors on kid. that NES, so you can argue that we weren't able to pink. determine whether the loopy is gray or lavender. So we might be the wrong people to answer this question. Yeah. Uh, in which case, maybe we should go on to the next one. Let's do it. Here we go. So we're recording this the day after the February 17th Nintendo Direct. It has now been 24 hours since it aired. Can we remember anything about it? Well, in anticipation of there being an episode, I just checked all the things. So I remember everything. But um, if I hadn't just checked everything, here's what I would remember. One is the Project Triangle Town, whatever that game is called. Um... (laughs) I remember that because it's another thing in the Octopath engine and it and it made me think about all those people that are like, maybe this will finally be that Final Fantasy Tactics game I've been looking for when people are releasing tactics RPGs that look a lot like Final Fantasy Tactics like every other month or something. Mm-hmm. But this one's made by Square Enix, so maybe this will finally scratch the itch that they're looking for. They're looking for special official permission. Yeah, that's right. Um, I remember that one, and I remember Neon White. Oh, uh, yeah, with uh, mm-hmm. Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop is in there, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's developed by, or in at least in part, by Ben Esposito, who does all those cool Bubsy 3D museum kind of yeah. arcane kids things. And also, <laughs> Oh, I'm interested now. Yeah. And also did Donut County and everything. But uh, yeah, I'm very interested to see what Ben's take on an FPS will be. I'm not sold on the card mechanic necessarily yet, but of course I haven't played it. So they accidentally sent me the wrong feed and uh, the the footage from the new Metroid Prime was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you guys get to Whoops. see that pretty soon. Um, but uh, the, the one thing I remember is that I think it's interesting and neat that they're remaking detective club for the second time oh yeah um Mm. so for those who don't know this was originally a famicom disc system 8-bit game uh they remade it for uh the super famicom uh so new art 16-bit you know a lot more color stuff like that and now they appear to be remaking that remake uh with modern 1080p graphics and stuff so i thought that was pretty interesting yeah Um, that's very good makes me upset again that there's this entire weird era of first party nintendo that does not exist in english from that time there's like two or three other first party uh adventure games like that that were only ever on the disc system that's what nintendo was doing yeah for a good one or two years was making these text adventure games pretty amazing that the 
the first Fire Emblem on the NES or the Famicom. It didn't come out here until last year. Yeah. Well, that's the first, wild. the first, you know, Advance Wars, yeah. Famicom Wars, never came right. out here. Right. So that that's one they could do if they wanted to. I'm sure that's coming. It better be. Yeah, that seems like a pretty low-hanging fruit one. Whereas the text adventures seem pretty difficult to do without yeah. doing like a you know like a text overlay. Like one of them is a vertical katakana or hiragana or whatever it is. Oh right, yeah, that's rough. Yeah, they need to uh, <laughs> bring out they need to bring out that Famicom War so that I can say, hmm, Nectaris, aka Military Madness, is still better. Well, <laughs> here's how Nintendo decides what to port. Uh, they t- pick a character from the game. And they put it into Super Smash Brothers. And right. if people like them, then they port it to America. Yeah, I guess I heard there were some new animes coming to Smash. That's exciting. Yeah, sure. Um, the thing I remember is the the Legend of Mana coming out, which is mm-hmm. neat that all these PlayStation 1 RPGs I never played are finally coming to a system I actually own. I'm, I'm playing through the Grandia collection at the moment. And it's really fun. So interesting new platform for all this stuff do you see the redraws of the backgrounds that they're doing they actually look quite good yeah it's really interesting way of doing like a updated graphics just focusing on the background and letting all the original really good spite work kind of like pop on top of that it's really yeah pretty it it's hard to tell what they did with that background stuff too like did they it's it's redrawn so carefully and using basically the same colors and everything that it it almost feels like because with that game originally they very likely drew or painted some real thing and scanned it or did it did it digitally but either way they were presenting us with a lower res version of something that they had made and one wonders if they maybe actually had the original stuff still and scanned it that would be pretty cool because it's so close that would rule if it's the original yeah it'd be it'd be new to the world as far as i know like a remake going back to the 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 original material what i got from that nintendo direct was a bunch of people asking me about uh what dc superhero girls is and i told them uh it's my little pony friendship is magic but if you had superheroes instead of horses that sounds like something you would like that's exactly what all right that's my first time hearing about that (laughs) i think it's also worth mentioning that they also on the japanese one showed a uh Mm. cran shinchan adventure that everyone's in love with yes that Um, sounds great it looks Great. It looks like the exact kind of game that I want to play all the time. It's so chill. Yeah. You just I, chill I, out in a little town with your neighbors and your friends, and you probably help. I mean, it's very, like, kind of tulip-ish in appearance. Well, that sounds like that sounds like Game of the Year material. It's by the Boku no Natsuyasumi people, I believe, um, and is just following that formula. And and there's been some hope from folks that maybe, because Crayon Shinchan has some recognition internationally if this game comes out in english then folks will get the the power to go back in time and and port all those boku no natsuyasumi games to the uh modern platforms because those games would do so well right now and i also think attack of the friday monsters if it were re-released right now would do well oh i like that game yeah they should definitely do that those chill experiences I've got another question for you. What is the worst advice that you've ever gotten about your video game industry job? <laughs> uh, hmm. Yeah. Don't Just do add it. multiplayer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Lottie and I have had particular trouble with that one that we did for Gunsport. Lottie, you had to add that multiplayer all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fun. I think if we were to do it again now, it would be really good. But we got there in the end. Yeah, more or less. Worst advice for my particular job. 
it's hard to think because there's so many like biz bros that are constantly giving terrible advice that relates to the business part of my job. Like, but I can't, I, I so purposefully have blocked those all out of my head. Like don't, don't hire anyone who's contrary or women are too emotional kind of oh, <laughs> advice God. that people give. Uh, that's all, that's all rocketed away from my brain. All I can think of when I'm trying is like publisher client ideas <laughs> that were bad for a product I was working on, but I don't think that counts. If they're interesting, we want to hear them. Nah, I don't want to. Okay. Yeah, I guess you can't really throw them under a, a, a bus. It's too bad, though, because those do tend to be pretty uh, amusing. And it's, yeah. it's, they can sometimes be, it can be really illuminating in terms of how much they know about game development. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or their back catalog. <laughs> yes, yes. I do remember, uh, I'll, I'll be happy to say this one. I do remember when SNK didn't want to put, um, they didn't want to put baseball stars out in the main SNK 40th anniversary collection because they didn't think that it was like popular enough or worthwhile to do. Um, I mean, I was thinking of that one specifically, yes, and how instead uh, they wanted Paddle Mania, which no one's heard of or wow. played on the collection. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. But then you all were able to put it on for the for the Xbox version. Then they got yeah, yeah. Stars. We, we we worked it out in the contract where it's like, well, since we're publishing the Xbox version, we want to put baseball stars in there, and they let us. Yeah, nice. Yeah, baseball stars. Is there any like design feedback you've gotten, Brandon, like about any specific like gameplay stuff which people have suggested, which you just knew was going to be terrible? Yeah, there is a game that I was working on where they made made certain like frame decisions for uh how an attack would work that were so laggy and bad but they really wanted it to be that way but i knew it was going to be a compl- uh something that everyone complained about and they were like well let's just see let's just try it and see and it was very very clear that it was going to be bad and then it wound up being really bad and that's <laughs> what happened but that's pretty straightforward it's not a very interesting story oops have you ever gotten any feedback that you thought was bad but then we're proven wrong. Oh, definitely. Can I think of it right now? No. But uh, <laughs> actually, here's one for Gunsport. So with Gunsport, we we have jumps in the game for the for the striker characters. You're in in the game. You're trying to shoot a volleyball back and forth into the opposing team's goals. And I wanted the striker who can jump, the only character that can jump. I wanted them to be able to aim in the air and get you know be able to do tricky shots because they could you know carefully aim while jumping and so because of that i made the jumps extra floaty on purpose and i knew that people weren't gonna like the jumps very much because i made them floaty but i was like they're gonna figure out that this is so that you can make you know tricky tricky shots and like shoot into the bottom goal from over the net what i didn't anticipate is that people just weren't gonna play the game to a level where they would care about that so ultimately what i should have done which is you know what people suggested in the first place is i should have just focused on making the jumps feel good and then if people wanted to figure out how to do trick shots from that then they would have you know if if people were to get to a really high level at the game they would figure that out even if the jumping being like moon jumps even if that didn't help them they would have figured it out so that was definitely one where i realized that i had come at it I would I had come to a solution from the wrong direction and wound up um, creating something that neither gave the impression that I wanted nor made players feel good. <laughs> so that was a, a a giant failure there. True lose lose. Frank, 
you have mm. been decided by uh, listener poll to have been the winner of last week's episode uh, for the second time in a row. Was uh, it like a means- really, really clear victory or was it, it was an absolute destruction why uh, yeah, because everybody was really impressed with your anecdote about the nes sim city oh okay yep All right. uh so your moral is tell less interesting stories on the podcast Dang it. uh so now you have to come up with a question for us i got one um it's a topic that's been rattling around in my head for a couple of years now. It was, that it was based on um, attending a talk and Rachel Weil. Either of you know Rachel? She runs the Femicom Museum. Yeah, yeah. I oh, yeah, not personally, you. but I know Femicom. She does sort of digital art, experimental feminine things uh, for old consoles. And her feeling on that and on making new software for old consoles is essentially that if you're gonna go through all that effort like say something (laughs) you know if you're gonna make a new nes game don't just kind of clone mega man again right like like try to say something about the system or like provide you know an alternate view of history or something like that i don't know how to form this new question but essentially i'm just it's got me thinking like how would we apply that uh to making new software for old systems and and i guess uh, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, this was already asked specifically of the Casio Loopy, but yes. uh, let's. Right. <laughs> That's probably so. my, my inspiration for this question. But uh, it is a little different in that it's not go back in time, it's make something now that is worth making for an old system. I find this really interesting because of the Paprium dilemma again, where I truly do feel that Paprium is one of the. I think it's a better beat-em-up than Streets of Rage 4. It's it's a more modern beat-em-up than Streets of Rage 4. And it has all these techniques that would have blown people's minds in the 90s, but um, now are being used in subtle ways and are easier to do because, <clears throat> you know, we kind of have some easier frameworks for making Genesis games now. But on the other hand, it, like, makes fun of its gay characters and does like stupid 90s bullshit um don't usually swear on this show but uh that's what it does and it could have been a very inclusive 2021 video game instead and i feel like that kind of stuff in retro gaming in general there's a lot of old white guy gatekeeping i would say the first i'm hearing of (laughs) if we made a game that was good and Inclusive. I mean that that what is it called? Battle Princess Madeline, which was right. a, a Makaimura, Ghosts and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts, whatever it is, style game, but starring a lady. That actually got some pushback from from dudes that are like, oh, you're just trying to be a big feminist or whatever. And I think the fact that something that simple j- can get that kind of pushback, or or Mike Micah making Pauline in uh, Re- Rescue Mario in Donkey Kong, the fact that that brings ire forth for a significant loud group of retro game people means there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that we could make statements with. Yeah, in particular in the sort of retro gaming communities, right? There's a lot of that white dude gatekeeping. And yeah, I like that as, as, as a thing to do that's worthwhile is just start changing the narrative on who's allowed in these spaces. On top of that, it's also like just make the kind of stuff that you wish was there when you were a kid. Yeah. Mm. So like, I think that's where a lot of that kind of like um, like ROM hacks, which put Zelda instead of Link in Zelda games and stuff like that, comes from. So like, if I was to do something like that, I would want to make a hamster game that is actually good. I love <laughs> hamster games, and they are all universally terrible games. But like, 
yeah, like being able to go back and use old hardware in interesting ways and build like stuff which could have that actually existed back then, like plugging those gaps in and still being able to play them on real hardware. That's great. Like there's a Game Boy game called Tobu Tobu Girl, which is, you know, it's a very simple um, 2D platformer, like kind of like Doodle Jump, but like the fact that it, it exists now and you can actually buy a copy of it and it comes on a pink cartridge, all that stuff is just like, I wish I had that as a child. I also like when people do things that take modern games and show that they could have existed if the idea was there yeah, back yeah. in the day. For example, like Cannabalt being ported to the Commodore 64, right? Or mm. when Retro City Rampage was still on an actual NES, just sort sort of showing like you could have, if you really wanted to, and if if the ideas were there magically, you could have done Grand Theft Auto in like 1992 or whatever. Um, I find that kind of interesting. Yeah, I was gonna go down a similar track there, talking about Xeno Crisis. Um, and I feel like this is a really interesting example of it because when you play Xenocrisis, it's pretty much just a roguelite top-down Smash TV style shooting game. Um, it has tight controls and everything, but otherwise it's a pretty established genre. So you, when you play it on PC or Switch or whatever, it just feels like one of those. But when you play it on the, an actual Genesis, at least for me, it makes me think about like, wow, if this, it, it, it feels very modern and fresh because it's on an old platform that didn't have anything like it. And so mm. it makes me think about if I played this in 1992, if this idea existed in 1992, how how would it have changed games going forward after that? If, if the kinds of modern conveniences and smoothnesses that were in there and the random generation, if all those things were in there at that time, you know, how, how would action games have gone forward from there? Something that comes to mind for me is something I haven't seen yet that could be interesting is like political commentary on events from that happened during that system's lifetime. <laughs> oh. But made now on that system. So I don't know, something something about like the Iran Contra affair, you know, as like a <laughs> a, a political game on the Commodore or something. Like, Iran like that Super might be Contra. Yeah, like Super Contra, exactly. <laughs> um, just, something like that could be it. Like the fall of the Berlin Wall. Not the actual Berlin Wall game that came out. But, right. know, like like a real game say. about the, the fall of the Berlin it's been Wall. It's like Papers, Please, but like yeah. Honest Nez. Right. Commentating on something that happened during that system's lifetime. I think that'd be an interesting use of the hardware. Definitely. That sound means it's time to go into the lightning round. You may have noticed that this week I didn't ask Gay what is the blank of video games question, which is oh. what I usually do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've saved that for the uh, end of the show here. I am going to name 10 different popular brands of coffee, and you're going to tell me what that is of video games. It could be a company or a series or a game or even an element of a particular game. Just anything related to video games at all. That's how this goes. I usually don't have to explain it. I don't know why I'm doing it here. Well, because <laughs> I uh, have a chunk in the show skeleton where I explain the lightning round. Uh, we'll start. What is the Starbucks of video games? Is there, is there a Battlestar Galactica game where you play Starbucks? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it would be something ubiquitous that everybody mm. is, like, fine with. They're like, this is fine. Yeah, it's, it's kind of reliable and it's always there. So it's going to be like your Assassin's Creed or something like that. It's kind of, like kind of yeah. bland, but it's, yeah, yeah. it's there. You know exactly what it's going to taste Tim's like. Tim's not here to say Assassin's Creed, so, right. so you should say Assassin's Creed. Right. Glad someone's got that. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts. 
Oh, that's a regional, right? It's very regional. People are really hardcore about it. But, yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, it, 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 it almost have to be something that's like only played in Japan or something. Yeah, I was like gonna that. say it, it could be Mother Three. <laughs> <laughs> Gun well, but people, but people love that here. Whereas that's true. anyone who doesn't live in a place with Dunkin' Donuts and has like tried their coffee understands that it's sub McDonald's. Right. level coffee it's not interesting it sort of disproves what i was gonna say but i was gonna say maybe tokimeki memorial or some other kind of dating sim that never made it over here that man you all are overestimating get. how good dunkin donuts yeah is. yeah well then i when, it's not good yeah that's when so... frank said it wasn't good that's when i realized i was wrong to choose right. that so maybe metal slater glory maybe maybe it's something that people believe they love because they played it as children and it just objectively does not hold up now hmm because that's very similar. It's like, I grew up with Duncan. We run on Duncan over here, you know? And that's... Toe Jam and Earl, maybe? Yeah, oh, that's, that's a good, a good one. one, yes. Any yes, Sierra like adventure game? All right. Yeah. But speaking of McDonald's, Mick Cafe. Okay. Um, is it? Is this the cheapest one? Yeah. Probably? No, it's 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 like Folgers level. Um, okay. It's what I drink when visiting my wife's parents. It's the, the best one we can get at the Walmart, which is the grocery store there. Wait a second. So if it's 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 like a deer hunting game because oh the, yeah, it's like you 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 didn't bring your game console. You you go to Walmart and you have to <laughs> oh, buy I like the one that. game yeah. that's there. So it's like deer hunter. <laughs> yes, Cabela's deer hunter. Yeah, or it's like a, a character platformer in like a greatest hits collection, like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like a croc or something like that. Whatever you can find. Yeah. Uh, Tim Hortons. Canadian. Yeah. I mean, that's just Canadian Duncan. So that's, is it Assassin's Creed again? Because whichever <laughs> one was made in Montreal. Right. <laughs> you said it before I could. Yeah. <laughs> Is it War, isn't Warframe made in Canada? He, mm. I don't know. Wait, what? I think one of the watchdogs is, is in Canada. Mm-hmm. But is that an old reliable? Let's just say Canadian Assassin's Creed. Let's just yeah. say sure. That. So we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll change what, you know, they, they change every year or whatever at the studio, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, we'll switch whatever. We'll we'll backtrack and say it's it's the non-Canadian Assassin's Creed's for <laughs> Duncan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Folgers. I don't even know what that is. Folgers <laughs> is the default coffee at the grocery store. And it's crystallized, right? Like you just pour hot right. water in it? Yeah, it is. That's an instant. Okay. Yeah, it's it, well, instant. no, it's not instant. No, it's, it's not? It's coffee maker. It's drip coffee maker. Oh. Um, they, probably have, they probably have instant too, but this is, you know, the brand that my grandma was drinking in the 80s. You know, it's just, it's just the longstanding default coffee at the store. Tetris. Yeah, I think yeah. it's Tetris. Tetris. Yeah, there you go. Keurig. Oh, okay. convenient, convenient pods, right? So we I mean, are fancy, but isn't right. And generates a lot of waste. Do people think Keurig is fancy? Because I think it's purely convenient. Yeah. Really? Yeah, wow, they people do. are very stupid. <laughs> it's the kind of thing you have in an office, right? And you go, "Ooh, look, there's a capsule coffee machine." Exactly. exactly. Oh, but that's the worst coffee. It's yeah, it's really bad, and that that's oh wow, okay. But people do think it's fancy, so we we need to. I didn't know that. I feel so bad. Now. <laughs> we got to uh, work in some sort of people think it's better than it is, but it, and it also generates a lot of waste. Well, I don't know how we do the generates a lot of waste thing. Um, I don't know, unless we're going like limited edition oh, with wait. garbage in it. Wait, actually, it's it's a it's an Atari twenty six hundred 
game because so many got buried in the landfill. I don't right, want to say right, ET right. because there were other games in there, but um, but that only but does the waste thing though. It doesn't do the trading convenience for quality thing. But I don't know how to do that for a game, so whatever. Yeah, trading convenience for quality. It's gotta. It be... might just be the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. It could also be a mobile game. They they trade convenience for quality all the time. Like, like Candy Crush or something? Yeah, maybe it's Candy Crush. Or maybe it's specifically like the gem purchasing system in Candy Crush. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's 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 Candy Crush's gotcha system. Yeah. Yeah, you're paying way more for nothing, basically. Yes. Yeah. And and that's the waste. Yeah. And uh, your last one is Maxwell House. Okay, that is the Pepsi to the Folgers Coca-Cola yeah. to, for context. So. Okay. Great. What did we decide was Folgers? Uh, Tetris. Tetris. So this I guess like... Luminous? This is Pac-Man. It's Pac-Man. <laughs> it's Pac-Man. That makes sense. All right. I think we got all seven. That is our show. And uh, Frank, I'm going to give you the win again. No! <laughs> with the next question. Nice. <laughs> Three in a row. Because during the, lightning, <laughs> during the lightning round, I came up with exactly one, but I provided the context for each coffee. No, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you knew all the coffee brands. Okay. Yeah, sorry, Frank. You got to come up with another, another because one. Because I'm a better host. And yeah. Now I have to ask the question. Exactly. That's your reward. <laughs> your reward is homework. Uh, we go through this every week. I am now going to give you the space to uh, forward your recommendations and plugs for your own projects or projects of those you admire, uh, either personally or from afar. Uh, one by one, as we close out our show for another week. I usually have a lot more recommendations, but I've been playing a lot of Yakuza Like a Dragon. And, uh, man, I get to this disappointing part where they just talk about how protesters are paid and do it because it's trendy. And I was just mm. so disappointed in it. But um, anyway, I started watching the movie Jiu-Jitsu. Have, have you seen this movie? Anybody? Mm-mm. It's something. It's it's a movie starring... Not, not even starring. It's a movie that professes to star... Nicholas Cage, but I think they got him for like two days and just let him say whatever he wanted. And it's about space aliens who uh, come to Earth having trained a, a secret sect of humans in jujitsu, even though there's no real jujitsu in the movie. And then every six years when this comet goes by, the alien comes back to Earth and fights us. And if he's satisfied with the fights, then he goes back in his comet. And if he doesn't, then he kills everyone on Earth. Um, it's a it's a very bizarre premise, and it it's just like every every two three minutes you wonder why they made the choice that they made. Like why is why are we showing comic book frames now? Why is the camera moving from being inside this man's chest to on the ground to back in his chest again? So that we're, we're like doing first person punches and kicks. And then the camera like falls out of him. And then we're watching him in third person. And then he rolls to get the camera back inside himself. If, what, what does it mean? So if you want to be completely baffled and also kind of bored, uh, <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu is the movie that I've been watching. I want to re-recommend something I've recommended previously because um, it. It, it's a YouTube account. Uh, it's called GST Channel. And the crux is that they, they do mixtapes of video game music and they do a really good job of sort of like normalizing all of them, even across different systems. And, you know, I'm looking right now at their videos. Uh, the The latest mix is called Lakes and Menus. And it's Ooh. just like, it's just like golf game menu music mix. 
Um, oh, this is great. Yeah, it's really good I'm stuff. I'm looking through so, these playlists right now. Oh, yeah, man. And, and in addition to these playlists, which you can download as Flax, uh, they go through the career of a, a game composer and show the evolution of their craft and, like, quote their old interviews and stuff. And the, the work is remarkable, and their videos have, like, less than 2,000 views each, and uh, they should be way more popular than they are. So yeah, I'm into great. it. GST channel. Nice. Lottie, what you got? Um, I've got two things to recommend. Uh, one, you can follow me on Twitter at Lottie Makes Stuff if you like seeing pictures of pink things and rabbits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to recommend a video game called Harvest Massive Encounter, which is quite old now. It's on Steam. Um, it's made by Oxi, and it's basically a little tower defense game with lots of resource gathering and shooting aliens. But like, it's got this really cool wave mode where you can spend as long as you like building up like the ultimate base and then start the waves ticking and try and see how far your really cool base design gets. And I don't think I've played anything else with that exact loop in it, and it's really fun. And nobody ever seems to know about the game. It's like 10 years old or something like that at this point. But yeah, everyone should play it. It's great. Sounds very nice. Yeah. Um, I've got some recommendations of my own. I would like to recommend that if you're listening to Insert Credit on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, it helps us out if you do that. Uh, you could also go to patreon.com slash insert credit, where you could become a patron to submit your own questions, get episodes one day early, and even exclusive access to regular bonus episodes and other early. exclusive content. One day early. Uh, you can join the community at forums.insertcredit.com to discuss these episodes and other uh, video game ephemera. Uh, you could follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Frank is at Frank Zafaldi. Brandon's at Necrosofty. And Lottie is at Lottie Makes Stuff. That's L O T T E Makes Stuff. This show is produced by Esper Quinn with music by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Zafaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield. I'm Lucky May. And your game has now been saved. And your game has now been saved. Mother, yeah. Yeah. Love Shack, baby. Uh, That was stressful. Yeah, it was. (laughs) (laughs) How do you do this every week? Jeez. Oh, it's hard.